One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Tech Events Matter, a series of interviews of mentors and friends of Startup Sesame who all share one thing in common. They attend events as part of their jobs, a lot of them. And on this new episode of Tech Events Matter, we interview Robin Waters, founding editor of Tech.eu, the premier source of European technology news, data analysis, and market intelligence. Hi, Robin. How are you doing? Hey, Ben. I'm good. And how is your uh, little goldfish in the background? He's alive and kicking. He's going to be a year very soon, like a, a one-year-old. Does he have His a name? name? Yes, Puissance. Puissance, like, of course. Yes. Cool. And everybody loves him very much here at the office. <laughs> well, it's great to join you. Uh, I love talking about tech and I love talking about events. So, perfect. Uh, tell us more about tech.eu and what is exciting about your job and also maybe a little bit more about your background. Yeah, so almost everything about my job is, is great, um, but I've sort of created this job for myself in a way. Uh, I've been blogging about uh, technology, startup innovation uh, for about almost 13, 14 years now, which is quite long, uh, considering you know, that the startups are, are considered still very, very young space. Um, but of course, I, I was blogging for TechCrunch back then um, in the beginning, uh, mostly about international startups, US startups, uh, and then joined the next web to focus more on Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started TechU about four and a half years ago uh, to really deep, dig deep into you know, the European technology ecosystem, what is happening here, what is not happening here, uh, what are some of the interesting verticals coming out of Europe, what are the interesting geographies, uh, really bringing data to the table as well. So that's, uh, that's the reason we started it. That's uh, in a nutshell. And uh, this uh, data angle also, maybe tell us quickly a bit more about it, how does it work and what type of yeah. data we get out of your publication. Yes. So we didn't just want to post stories and, and, you know, do interviews and profiles of startups. We also wanted to bring quality data to the table and we really couldn't get it anywhere. Uh, we really couldn't see anyone, uh, any data providers really delivering on pan-European quality data. So we started collecting it ourselves. That's uh, the basic story. Uh, so the, the sort of data that we collect is, uh, you know, the names of the startups and the founders and where they're based, uh, which is very static information. Uh, but also deal activity is what we're really um, good at. So whenever a company raises funding or gets acquired or merges with another company, it does an IPO or an ICO, uh, which is sort of the rage these days, um, we collect that data and we 
sort of put it into a master database so we can collect trends over time. Um, so and obviously, because we've been doing this for four years now, uh, it gets to a point where you can really, really start to predict uh, where Europe is heading and, and also, mm-hmm. also compare uh, annual statistics with each other. So, so you can track evolution. So now it's getting really, really interesting. And where, where is Europe heading? <laughs> uh, yeah, Europe is heading in the right direction, uh, up <laughs> and to the right. Uh, I have to say, I, I always um, warn people that whenever I talk about Europe, I'm a champion, but I also very much realize that we're still so behind on the US and, and parts of Asia that it's almost ridiculous. Uh, but if you look at the, the, the historical trends in, in funding and, and M&A transactions, for example, in Europe, uh, there's a clear evolution. It goes, it goes really up and to the right, but the, the overall numbers are still pale in comparison to uh, you know, the bigger regions in the world. Can I ask you, I, I, I didn't plan to, so I, it's okay if you don't have the data with you right now, but can I ask you quickly, in terms of cities, like the local hubs, which ones are like really kicking it, you know, like they are going fast up and you can see it in your data. Yeah, we track our countries more than cities, okay. um, although we could probably do this analysis if we wanted to. Um, but the obvious ones are the big economies, uh, France, Germany, uh, UK, Israel, which we include as part of the European uh-huh. system. Um, and then Sweden is always the, the surprising one that makes it to the, to the rankings. Um, what's interesting to see is that um, regions like the Baltics, for example, or CEE are really coming up. You can't really pinpoint any specific country yet. Mm-hmm. You can see all the numbers and all the, the anecdotal data, sort of, like you know, new incubators, new accelerators, new angel investments, uh, you know, being more professional and teaming up with each other. Those are really clear trends that we can see. They don't reflect yet in the overall numbers. So you're not going to see Ukraine suddenly come, become number five in the rankings for funding, but you can really see the evolution, which I think is also interesting. Um, but the top countries shouldn't be that much of a surprise. Uh, the, the biggest surprise for me is that South Europe is not really playing along. Mm-hmm. You look at these big economies like Spain and Italy, they're not really in those rankings in the way that they should be, um, you know, considering their GDP and the weight that they have like on the overall European economy. Uh, but, you know, hopefully they, uh, they can fix that. Are we going to know uh, if they are working uh, on fixing it uh, very soon in Barcelona during Forest Run Now, where you have like all the Spanish ecosystem uh, gathering? Correct. Although it's such a big event that it's very hard for me to meet anyone actually from Spain or Barcelona. Because <laughs> you're meeting, there's 100,000 people coming from this, you know, from all over the world for this event. So it's not always easy. Do you travel to a lot of events yourself? Uh, it seems like speaking, moderating, uh, conferences is also part of your business model at Tech.eu. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah. So when I said earlier that I've kind of created this job for myself, um, that's really true. I kind of have the lifestyle that I want, which is to travel a lot and to meet a lot of interesting people from you know, different places. Um, so I've sort of made going to conferences either to cover them or to you know, speak or moderate panels sort of part of that job so I can continue doing it. So that's how much I love it. Um, now, I also have to say that it's not all the conferences I go to is the ones I pick. So sometimes you get contracted. Um, and sometimes I'll go to a conference simply because it's in a place or in a country that I would like mm-hmm. to visit or, or, or I would like to meet someone locally there that I really want to. Now, I also have to say that it's, not all the conferences I go to is the ones I pick. So sometimes you get contracted. I don't know what's happening. It's, uh, sorry, it's uh, okay. five. It's getting in the middle. Ah, no worries. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so you were yeah. telling that you don't pick all of those that you attend. 
No, no. Sometimes there's corporates, uh, clients doing their, you know, their own conferences internally or, or for clients that I go speak at and that I don't necessarily broadcast on social media or anything. But yeah, so, so I include those. It depends on what you call tech events because you know, this is a series called Tech Events Matter. Yeah. Uh, it does, it, it, you know, there, there's tech events and then there's tech events. The tech events that we know, you and I, are like startup-focused innovation, you know, who are the pioneers, what's the future going to look like? But there's also, you know, trade shows and there's de- developer-specific conferences about certain software or certain infrastructure um, that, that I don't necessarily attend. And, you know, of course, there's tech events in the sense that a tech company does its own conference, for example, to, to announce new products. So whether you include that in a tech event or not, is kind of a... You know. yeah, well, the, you're right. And the definition um, that we have is actually very broad. Uh, however, we work uh, here at Startup Sesame mostly with uh, those events that you were mentioning, like startup events, yeah. uh, where a core uh, of the value proposition of the organizer is to help entrepreneurs. Uh, and these are also the events that you... Correct me if I'm wrong, but attend the most or like the most, or where yeah. you you actually have things that you want to see and connect people you want to meet people you want to connect with. Absolutely, those are the ones I'm most interested in personally because I think if you want to see what the future looks like, you have to talk to early stage startups and and also the investors. Um, it doesn't make sense to talk to the established companies or the scale ups or the you know the policymakers. It's interesting to get a picture of what's happening, but it doesn't really give you a glimpse of the future, which is what I'm most interested in personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely startups. Um, so this is one of the outcome of, for you to overtending those events. Um, also, do you get prospects, like do you get business for taking you out of uh, your speaking engagements? Yes, we do get business because we present our data quite often uh, on stage. So that leads to you know, report sales or people interested in sponsoring reports or, or doing custom data or custom research for their vertical or market. Um, so yes, we do get business out of it. It's not our primary goal um, because it's kind of, you never know who sits in the audience unless, you know, the event organizer actually shares that information, which is very rare. Um, so it's mostly up to chance. Uh, sometimes we'll combine it with business meetings uh, locally, but that's not always the case. Um, but yeah, I do it mostly to build network, to build knowledge, um, so we can do a better job at actually delivering what TechEU is meant to deliver. Mm-hmm. And I was about to ask you, actually, what you are expecting from event organizers. Uh, you were just saying that sometimes would, you would like to see the uh, list of participants and that they don't share that with you. Um, like from, from your perspective, because you go to a lot of events and from, usually from a speaker uh, role, uh, speaker engagement point of view, what can they do better? What, would uh, be, you know, what are you expecting from them? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, because, of course, if you go to as many events as we do, uh, you start seeing the, the small differences in the way that event organizers approach this, and also in different regions in the world. Like sometimes you can clearly see that there's a cultural difference there as well. Um, I like I like the small ones that you could that it actually makes sense for them to share the list of participants, mm-hmm. um, but it has to be small enough for that to make sense. If it's a huge event like Slush, sharing the participant list with me is not going to make any difference. So it depends on the size of the conference. It depends on their intention as well. Um, but I like when they're, they're proactive, when they know that you're not just a speaker, but also a journalist. So they want to get you in touch with um, you know, the right startups and the right people. They make it easy for you to access other speakers for interviews, for example. Mm-hmm. That's what I really, really like. Um, mm-hmm. They don't have to treat me like a VIP and pick me up at the airport and give me a nice hotel. I don't care. I've seen it all uh, from very, very crummy uh, to very, very nice uh, you know, accommodation and transport and everything taken care of. And it doesn't really make that much of a difference to me anymore. 
uh, I'm really just happy that that we get invited and that we get to meet interesting people. Um, so, what are your favorite ones? Your favorite events? Uh, for the big ones, definitely Slush uh, Pioneers. I really enjoy the next web conference, uh, which I used to work for. So I'm I'm a little biased, but I really enjoy that as well. Um, smaller ones, I would say any local one. Like we, we just had Tech 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 Chill, so you can get a glimpse of what's happening in Latvia and the Baltics. I really enjoy. Um, conferences like that um the pirate summit is always one of my favorites um what else uh you know these smaller local ones digital freedom festivals in in, in latvia something um, that we don't know like maybe an event that is uh still a bit under the radar that you heard about and you would love to attend it maybe yeah yeah well uh, i'm gonna mention one that we actually collaborate with if that's okay um it sure. has never happened yet so it's kind of a We'll have to see. Uh, but in the beginning of May, there's a, it's called the Ant Festival. So A-N-D, like an ampersand Ant Festival. It's going to happen in Leuven, which is a very small uh, city in Belgium, very near to Brussels, to be fair. Um, but it's going to be sort of a South by Southwest type combination of, you know, focus on business and technology, but also art and music. Mm-hmm. And they're taking over the entire city with multiple venues, multiple days and concerts and everything. So I'm really, really looking forward to the way that pans out because, you know, uh, I've never seen any, Uh, event of this scale happening in Belgium. So I'm very happy that there's something happening, this ambitious. Um, but we'll have to see, you know, how good it is. But I'm really looking forward to that one. So two to five May during this week. And that sounds very good. And also in days where there is not uh, one of those uh, major conferences happening. Yes, it? yes. As far as I know, it doesn't clash with anything, which is very, very rare these days. Well, well done, guys. <laughs> Um, you also, I mean, I wanted to ask you earlier, we were talking about the evolution of the tech scene in Europe and we, um, we were also, I mean, I was wondering, do you, do you notice changes in the way events are produced also that, you know, are a reflection of this uh, evolution of the ecosystem in Europe? Oh yes. Oh yes. Uh, so the biggest difference for me is production value. Um, sometimes you'll go to an event, not expecting anything and really the stage and the, You know, the volunteers and the staff is well-trained and the startups get, you know, sort of uh, uh, go through a boot camp to learn how to li- deliver their pitches a lot better. Uh, a lot, a lot more um, professional, mm-hmm. a lot bigger production value, a lot more, you know, sort of proactive in the way that they engage with the audience as well. Um, definitely, definitely more professional, which is really, you know, you can kind of see Even even small events. You go to a place like Kisinau in Moldova, and there's a small event, but it's professionally organized, you know. Um, you go to Lviv in Ukraine, like the second biggest city in Ukraine. I'd never heard of it. I went to the first uh, for the first time last year in the IT arena, and it was it was so amazing. Uh, it was so well done. It was like in a football stadium. It was very professional. So so that that always leaves an impression on me. I have to say, um, and it's not that the the, the, the old conference, let's say like Le Web uh, in Paris. They were well organized as well, but it was a different era. So you didn't have that many expectations. You didn't have, you, you couldn't measure them against a slush or a pioneers or a oh. web summit. Uh, and now there's more competition. So they, you know, they're forced to become more professional in the way that they engage with speakers and, and but also the audience and, you know, and the, the startups that they have pitching in the competition. So it's all getting a little bit sometimes too professional. <laughs> Uh, talking about professional events, uh, you are organizing your own event. Please take you. Uh, yeah. You do several of them, but the biggest one, I would say, maybe uh, correct me again, but uh, the next one actually will be in Barcelona. Yes. Uh, so tell us more about Mobile Sunday and what can we expect from this year edition? 
thanks for the opportunity to talk about that. Uh, but I wouldn't really call it a tech event, if I'm really honest. Um, this is an event that has been happening for, I think, about 13 years now, um, where basically you have the Mobile World Congress, which is obviously huge. And then you have the uh, Four Years From Now Conference, which is a little younger. I think it's going about six years now. Um, it's the fifth, yeah. I think it's the fifth anniversary. Fifth anniversary. There you go. Uh, so that's more focused on startups and innovation. Uh, but they draw a huge crowd. You know, five, six thousand for four years from now, uh, about a hundred thousand total for Mobile World Congress. So Rudy Dawala, who's a friend of mine, is also a Belgian entrepreneur. Uh, he used to organize this little soiree, like a, you know, sort of a networking event, just to come drink a few beers uh, in a small bar 13 years ago. And that grew into Mobile Sunday. And about three years ago, we did the joint venture with him to basically co-organize the event now. Um, we basically welcome all people that are, are, are going to be in Barcelona already on Sunday. Uh, because the big events start on Monday, uh, but a lot of people travel for the weekend already, which is Barcelona is beautiful, you know, so it makes sense to spend a few extra days there. And if you come early, then, you know, you should come on Sunday evening. We have a, a bit of talks, so it's going to be max an hour and a half. We like to keep the content very light on stage, uh, even though we have good speakers from, you know, Google and Atomico and uh, you know, a couple of interesting scale-ups like Terralytics and MessageBird. Um, we do want to keep the focus on beer and DJs and street food and just mingling and, you know, catching up with each other. So that's, uh, that's what it's going to be. Lovely. Um, we will share, um, I mean, if, you, if it's okay for you, we can share a discount that we have for our community. I think it's Sesame that will give them a 50% discount to join us on Sunday in Barcelona. Yeah, it's just for you. Especially for you, Ben. Thank you. <laughs> last, year, last year, we interviewed you during uh, Four Years From Now in Barcelona, and you said something very nice about uh, why tech events matter and Startup Sesame. I'm going to quote you. You say, why do you really need to be at a conference physically? The only reason for that is because human interaction is still so, so important. And Startup Sesame is pretty much the only program that I know worldwide that has that, that, has that aspect. You still feel the same about, you know, this human uh, interaction aspect? And uh, how do you think it will be in five years or maybe in four years from now? So I think the human uh, physical interactivity is still the, the, pretty much the only thing that events have going for them to still do physical events, if you think about it. So a little bit of background. When I was working for TechCrunch, they made me go to all the conferences, uh, especially in Europe, which back then there weren't that many, but I was supposed to go to all of them. And I would go to the front of like, you know, where the press uh, yeah. benches were, the tables yeah. for the journalists. And I would sit down and I wouldn't move until someone gave me, you know, some coffee or some lunch. And then the event was over and I would go home and write. And maybe I would attend the party, uh, but not too late because I had to sit, you know, in the, in, the, in the early morning again the next day. And I would just follow all of the sessions. And I would just look at all of these speakers and all of these panels and write everything down and, and try to remember everything that was being said. Back then, I have to say, there was also being uh, more news announced on stage than yeah. these days, because companies like to announce their own news on their own terms now with social media and you know, their own events, etc. Uh, back then, it wasn't the case. You, you had to be careful what was being said on stage, or you might miss something you know, substantial and miss a story. Um, so I wouldn't have that much interactivity with, with people unless I had like, pre-set up meetings. And you know, I, I wasn't a speaker back then, so you weren't in the launch. So you had to actually schedule meetings with people you wanted to see and you had to you know run around and try to make sure that you went to the right place at the right time so that has changed a lot for me because it's it's gotten a lot easier for me in a way 
um, because you know you're usually a speaker now, so you're in a more controlled group. You have more um, opportunities to connect with people before the event, etc. Um, so I feel like if you're an event organizer now and you don't cater to that, making it easy for attendees to spend time also with speakers and panelists, you know, so they're not like locked up in a room that you can access. I still know that's so important because I remember those days where I didn't have that kind of access and I didn't have that opportunity and, and it sucked. You know, <laughs> it wasn't really that much fun. It, was, it felt a lot more like work. Um, so you want to combine sort of the feeling of you're in a nice place and a nice atmosphere, but also like you, you have the opportunity to get shit done, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what I think uh, event organizers do really well. And this you can't replicate. You can watch any video of any session afterwards. I don't see any sessions anymore. I, like I, I don't go sit in the audience and listen to a speaker or a panel almost never. Maybe 5 to 10% max of the talks at the conference that I attend, I actually see live. When someone tells me, like, oh, this was really good. It was amazing. You should have seen it. I'll just watch the video afterwards. And I still have all the benefits of being there in person and being able to meet people and mm-hmm. going to all the, the side events and the after dinners and parties and whatnot and actually communicate with people and build a network. But I don't have to sit see the sessions anymore because I could, I could just watch them afterwards. They were streamed and they were recorded most of the time at least. So it, it makes it that much easier. So if, as an event organizer, that's your job. You got to make sure that people get to see the sessions if they want to but also get to see the sessions afterwards if they want to. Mm-hmm. And then focus on the human interaction. Um, I noticed that Slush just appointed a new CEO. And I think he said something to the effect of, uh, we wanna, I want to increase the meetings that startups have with investors by tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. By tenfold. So, so you can see that that's the focus of event organizers these days, just bringing people together, matchmaking, uh, making sure um, they can see each other in an efficient way. Um, because, you know, a lot of running around and a lot of... Uh, time pressure uh, when you go to this event. So if you can solve that as an organizer, you're already way ahead of most of your competitors. Um, I have a question. How should someone approach you during a conference? Now you're saying that you go there to meet people. So especially thinking of first-time entrepreneurs, uh, people who are going to these events and they maybe don't know uh, as many people as you do, what would be your advice so that they can come and come, you know, approach you? Yeah. Um, so definitely it's always better to reach out uh, in advance, uh, and I'm talking like a month and a month and a half in advance because, you know, the conference is usually two days, right, on average. So your schedule gets full really, really, really quickly. Uh, also, if you have to do, be on stage and you have to go to side events, etc. So, so there's already limited time. So n- n- rule number one, prepare in advance, right? Mm-hmm. Know who you want to talk to and why and where and when and give them options. Like, you know, we can meet here, we can meet there, we can meet from this time to this time on this day, etc. So that's always a good angle. If you know, if you do a little bit of research on me, for example, and you know what I'm about, and I'm about European tech, and I'm a blogger, and etc., then you know, try to position yourself in that angle, and don't say, you know, I just want to meet interesting people. That doesn't, yeah, me too. But you know, there has to be some kind of a purpose or a goal, something that we can both benefit from from the meeting. Uh, if that makes sense. First-time entrepreneurs is always hard because. You know, there's so many early stage startups. They all want to talk to the, the journalists, but there are only like a few journalists compared to the number of startups. So you can't see them all, right? So, so I guess it also depends on your story. It depends on what you do. It depends on the stage that you're in. Um, what really helps is if you go through the event organizers. Mm-hmm. So for example, if, if someone organizes a conference in say, 
you know, Vienna. And I've never been because I, I was supposed to go to this Zero 100 conference, which is very focused on yeah. private equity and venture capital. Mm-hmm. I didn't make it because I was sick, but, you know, I'd never been. But if you reach out to the organizers and say, can I get in touch with, with Robin? And I hear from the organizers directly, which, who I'm already in touch with anyway. It's that much easier for me to kind of filter who makes sense for me to meet when and where than if you try to reach me through, I don't know, LinkedIn or whatever. I only check my LinkedIn once a week. So that always sets, sets you back quite a bit. So yeah, it also depends on how proficient you are in, in you know, getting warm introductions. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, that's that warm introduction concept was something that uh, Bindi uh, was covering in uh, the first episode of uh, Tech Events Matter. And she gave us a few tips um, for, for the audience, especially those first-time entrepreneurs. I want to Grab just quickly. Um, <laughs> so right now we had Joanna Kirk who was sending us a lot of love. Uh, happy birthday, Joanna. Happy Bagni, birthday, Joanna. Bagni is uh, sending us greetings from Riga and Digital Freedom Festival. And hey, also, so a uh, nice um, picture of a cat watching the live stream. Uh, she says, My cat enjoys too. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's uh, taking care of a cat. I, it's not hers, from what I understand. <laughs> Um, and then I have my sister telling us, watch the conferences afterwards online, make the most of being there and get together. Agreed. Um, oh, I didn't even a- know you had a sister. Oh, come on. Her name is Amanda. <laughs> I have two sisters. Oh my God. You have to bring them to all the tech events. <laughs> Amanda has been to a couple of them, uh, as far as I know, uh, with me. And, uh, 
I'm sure if she's watching right now, you can uh, contact connect with Robin for the next tech <laughs> event you want to attend in Belgium. I mean, the one you were mentioning, I think this is an area which she would be uh, very much interested in. This mix of uh, a tech and arts. Um, so we'll share the link about this event also in the description. This is, this is something, if you don't mind, this is something that I like to talk about as well. This whole convergence of, uh, yeah, you, know, you have to combine art with tech and culture and music it makes it that much better for speakers to kind of uh, engage yeah. for a conference. If it's just, you know, come talk on stage and then that's it. Uh, but if you combine it with, you know, we'll tour the city, you'll see some of the city that you're in if you've never been. Uh, you'll see some of our local culture. Uh, we combine it with modern art, either either regional or, or otherwise. Um, there's music, there's an element of music in the evening, etc. It makes it that much richer of an experience. It's so much easier for people to engage in, coming either as an attendee or, or, or as a speaker. Um, so you're seeing this whole convergence of, uh, yeah. of, of tech and art, which I think is really interesting uh, from a personal standpoint, but it also makes it uh, you know, a lot more challenging, of course, for organizers to, because not, all, not, not everyone understands this concept and can do this in, a, in an efficient way. So, so that's the next challenge, I think, for event organizers is to kind of, not how you make your event bigger and better, but how you make it richer, how you make it more diverse, how you make it more appealing to different layers of, of society or and, and business in a way and yeah. i think that's the next level it's um i mean this is an area where uh, i mean i totally agree with you and it's kind of different but uh the way symposium stockholm is approaching you know this entire experience for their guest is a lot you know quite aligned with what you described we we could see a, a new trend coming up but i i still i mean we're still not sure about how uh deep it's going to be like how how um, how much it will change if it's just a fad, you know? And it's what you call like experiential, you know, events, which basically um, a very good example of that is a summit, right, in the US, where the tech content and the art content are both uh, extremely important at the same level, but you also have mindfulness, you also have food, you also have, you know, uh, sport, like it's the entire experience that you build around the event uh, that you are offering to this uh to a group that that is maybe more diverse in terms of okay, it's not such of a silo. Like it's a lot more uh, different industries or different job titles covered, um, but it's still something that is appealing to a certain crowd as well. Like you need to have a certain level of you know uh, wealth to be able to attend those events most of the time. Yeah. So, but it's a trend that we see, and uh, what you're describing the events in Belgium, I, I would love also to see what it is. Uh, to be honest, very curious to see those creative conferences when they mix, you know, and bundle uh, arts and techniques. I'm also quite, quite curious about it. The other trend I think is, um, it used to be your event had to grow. Like every year you had to double in size and then you had to find a new venue, etc. And now it feels like small is getting sexy again in the mm -hmm. way that you, if you deliver a sort of a, a curated experience and, and maybe invite only or a very select audience with a very specific one, it makes it that much more valuable for some speakers to engage. Because they get requests, you know, the big ones, they get requests all the time for events. And it's usually, you know, we're going to have 2,000 people or 5,000 people. But if you tell them we're only going to have 100 people, but they're going to be fucking amazing people from these industries that you might not you know, necessarily engage with otherwise, then they might be more interested in something like that than actually, you know, the mass events and the, the huge productions. Uh, we have one more question coming from uh, the live audience. Great. Um, and we will wrap it up very soon. Um, you want to get rid of me? <laughs> no. I'm enjoying this. 
<laughs> so the question, it's a hard one. I don't know. I mean, I would like to know your opinion, like personal opinion on this. But it's like, um, it says like this. How does it come that latitude, pioneers, and the next web, and I would add to the question because it's missing uh, Viva technology, are in the same dates? Just wondering, uh, what does it indicate? Competition, looking for new crowds, specifics of conference <coughs> calendars. What is your opinion? Why do we have so many events happening at the same time on the 23rd to 25th of May? Okay. So if you're a regular attendee of any of these conferences, it doesn't really matter to you that it clashes with another one. Because you, you, you know, you're in uh, Estonia, you go to Latitude every year, it doesn't really make a difference. Mm-hmm. And then you have the event organizers who have to deal with a lot of competition, which is obvious. You can't do events in the first week of January. You can't do it in the middle of summer. You can't do it over the Christmas holidays. You can't do it in the school vacation, whatever. Uh, so there's already quite a number of weeks and dates that don't match with regular schedules of people. And then you have all the other events, ranging from very small meetups to really huge events happening across the world, like South by Southwest, for example. So you have to deal with that competition. and. It's very, very, very difficult, and people underestimate. But in between those, you know, the attendees who don't really care and the event organizers who have to actually see that the schedule fits, you have people like us, you and me, who kind of have to juggle, like, which one do I go to that week? And it's not always easy because I like going to Latitude and checking out the Estonian startup scene, but I also really enjoy going to the next web and Pioneers. Fivatech, I've never been which is also a reason for me to kind of see maybe I should go to that one instead because I've done the other ones, but I've never been to Vivotech. So a very difficult situation. I think it's sort of a, a, a coincidence. It doesn't happen that often that you have four events at the same days. Um, it's usually, you know, when two big events clash, it's already quite big a deal. Uh, this is very rare, uh, but it's going to happen a lot more, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. we, might, we might eventually see sort of a shakedown in when events take place. Um, there's a bit of a, you know, sort of a bottleneck in June uh, because you have, you know, the summer vacation starts and you have July and August, it all kind of slows down. So everyone wants to do it, you know, end of May, beginning of June, mid-June, and that creates a huge bottleneck. And that's why you have these, you know, events clashing all the time. Another reason uh, that you can mention is that in some cases you have booked (laughs) the venue uh, for like years in advance, especially when you are running a big event you want to get the contract, you know, with the venue, you cannot just change, you know, your dates, you know, oh, for next year, I'm, it's fine, let's do another day because this other event is happening at my dates. Yeah. Maybe you had a contract with the venue that is, you know, uh, binding you to organize your event on exactly. those days for the next three or four years. Exactly. And the more, uh, the more prestigious the venue, the more you have to book in advance. So, yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. Uh, we were just talking about Dagnia from Digital Freedom Festival. Um, it, you, it can also be an opportunity. What she does is she schedules Digital Freedom Festival. It's two days of conference, and she does it always right before Slush, mm-hmm. which is sort of, it, it's not in, the same, not in the neighborhood, but it's at least in the Nordic Baltics, which for international travelers, you know, it's a good thing to combine. So they got in touch with the Slush team, and they tried to combine sort of travel arrangements and see if they can, you know, catch speakers uh, by delivering sort of a shared experience. You can do both DFF and Slush. So there's also an opportunity in teaming up with other events around the same dates. Uh, but of course, if you don't have that communication line and you clash head to head, then you know, it gets very messy for everyone involved. And I've seen yeah. some, you know, there, there has been some, some really animosity and some, you know, let's say, fighting in between event organizers. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's healthy competition, but sometimes it gets a little bit ugly. 
who were uh, very happy to help a couple of those event organizers uh, work on this uh, together, like sharing speakers type of thing. Uh, so hopefully uh, we can continue to have a role of, I don't know, I'm not going to call us, you know, United Nations of events, but you see what I mean, right? Trying to, to make this work for everybody. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but someone has to play the middleman. So I'm very, very happy that you're doing it. Uh, so, so we don't have any more questions, I think, right now on social. But you had one question before this uh, live on Facebook. Um, that question was on Twitter, actually. When we, were, when we announced uh, this interview, uh, I searched for it and I couldn't find it again. So I don't know if it's because it was uh, deleted or something. Basically, the question was, why did you block me? Oh, was that Steve from TechCrunch? Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about that too publicly, but uh, he basically he tweeted something that really annoyed me. I, I don't even remember when it was. Like a year, two years ago, three years? I don't know. It was something, <laughs> something really hypocritical, and I, I don't like hypocritical people. I, I recommend to anyone who is watching this or listening to this uh, interview um, to follow you on Twitter because your Twitter account is definitely a good one. Very funny. I mean, I don't know how, when you have this tone of voice, but sometimes you share very nice messages. Like for example, emails that you receive, you know, like emails that you receive, you do a screenshot and you share that. No? Yeah, yeah. I, do, I don't do it often enough. I should share more, but I don't want to embarrass people at the same time. So, but sometimes I get these emails that are just ridiculous. You know, these PRs and, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, you should follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm extremely funny. That's not true, actually. You know what it is? I follow a lot of funny people on Twitter and they inspire me to say <laughs> you know, stupid shit or retweet like very funny. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, I, I still like Twitter so much. Even during events, by the way, I, Twitter is still my number one go-to communication channel for, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, actually, I have a question for you, Ben. You asked no. me what my favorite conferences are. Uh, yeah. What's yours? And perhaps more importantly, what do you think the startups that you work with within the Sesame family, yeah. what do you think they get the most value out of which events? Well, that's a tough question and we were supposed to end right now. The, I have 30 favorite conferences and they are the one that we work with in the network. Of course. Um, of course, I enjoy very much those events where I see that you know we, we get... Um, the sense of community from the organizer side. And that's something that is very hard to replicate. And those that, you know, starting from the ground with this uh, approach, and of course, the, the, the ones that we can think of are events like uh, Slush or even TechShare that you were mentioning earlier, which is a lot smaller. But they started with this same approach of like building this up from the ground for their own uh, community and ecosystem. And of course, there is um, a mission, you know, that is driving these uh, event organizers that put them in another category. And you, and you see this when you, when you bring them together and you have event organizers uh, talking to, to each other about the, the challenges of running their events. And that happens quite often. I wish it would happen more often. Uh, we would have an opportunity during our uh, annual kickoff and retreat in Valencia end of March uh, to have more of those conversations. So typically the conversation will be uh, between event organizers, right? Um, how do you manage sales? How do you manage sponsorship? Uh, what, uh, you know, in terms of logistics, are you already using uh, participant tracking or um, the ticketing? Are you happy with that solution? The networking, like all those conversations type of thing, or, or the, the blacklist of speakers, can you share with me, you know, who is the bad speaker who cancels on the day before? Yeah. So all these, you know... Uh, the yeah, the, all the gossip, but it's very much business-driven conversation as well that are only interesting for event organizers. 
um, like we will love to make them happen to see them you know, happening. And you can see that when your event is uh, driven because of the you know um, business outcome, I basically you want to be a profitable company, which is totally fine. I'm not saying I'm not. Uh, usually, you know, events that are driven by profit would tend to have uh, a team that is a bit more professional or experienced because they actually can hire them and you know have less volunteers in a sense. But you could see that between those type of events and those that are more non-profit or, you know, a community-driven organization, there is, um, it's kind of two different words, right? And our heart here at Sesame tends to align a bit more with those that are uh, kind of community-driven, which, again, doesn't mean that I don't like the others. Um, and I said the first answer, my first answer to your question was that I love the 30 of uh, them and some more because we have been onboarding some new events to, to join us. Which, to is the, which is the one event that you want to be for part of the family but isn't yet? <laughs> I feel like I'm interviewing you, but I'm really... Yeah, yeah I see that, I see that. Um, there, is a funny, there is a funny thing going on um, with one particular event organized by another a very popular journalist from the tech scene in Europe. Um, and we talk, you know, every time we talk about it, it's like, nah, I don't want to be in this. You force us to have startups, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I know that, you know, um, we're doing stuff together. Like I've been sending some of our corporate clients to the events they organize. So I guess that it's a matter of time that we finally get to do things together. Um, and that's, that is one that I... Even in terms of branding, you know, having sort of the top tier, you know, tier one events in the network is uh, something that is, you know, important. Like if you are missing some of the big ones, then you get the question of why is it? You know, what's the what's the, the story behind? Um, that would be my answer. And um, and also more events in the US. So that's something that we, it's kind of a struggle because we get the opportunity to onboard events in the US. But because of our uh, current focus in Europe and the fact that we don't have um, staff over there, right? It's, uh, it's hard to really think of, you know, creating as meaningful, you know, opportunities for our community and for the startups as we're doing right now here in Europe. But there are amazing events in the US that we are in touch with that are, you know, willing to contribute and participate. Uh, I mentioned Summit earlier, but that's one of them. Um, and I, I, I expect that by some, you know, by the end of this year, we will be able to uh, look at our international reach uh, differently. So right now, our our goal is to uh, solidify more our current, you know, reach in Europe. So having even at least one major event in all of the major, uh, you know, startup cities, um, that is still something that we want to cover. And for example, the fact that there is no event in Italy, we were talking about yeah. Southern Europe before. Uh, it's not a problem, but it's like something that we would like to have one. Like it's like we we what we are doing will make sense, um, make sense for every uh, European countries where there is a major you know startup event to help them grow and you know with the experience of the others this type of thing, right? Well, I know that there's a, some people in Italy and uh, Greece. Um, I've, I've said the same to local people. Like you know, you need kind of a a, a landmark event every year to kind of showcase what Italy is all about or Greece, uh, they agree, but it's not always easy to kickstart it if you don't have a clear you know, goal for profit. If, if there's not a non-profit already, then it has to be profitable. So yeah. in those countries, it's very hard because there isn't a mature startup scene to get you know, enough sponsors and enough speakers and attendees interested. Uh, so it's very difficult, but I, but I agree with you. you. They need it. 
Um, and to answer your other question about the value for startups, um, very quickly, we it's it's not so easy to uh, to to answer because it depends a lot of what type of startup you're talking about. So we've seen that, for example, a very good example of this year uh, current batch uh, is a company called Warm. So Warm is a startup in the music space. Uh, they are part of our entertainment program, and. They basically they are like a year and a half old, and because of the type of support that we provided during you know pushing them to specific startup events and to pitching competition that maybe they were not even aware of this type of thing, they they got uh, a huge traction in terms of you know uh, credibility for investors and all that. Like I think over the year they basically spoke or participated in competitions at all the major events of their industry, like all of them. From yeah. Sonar Plus D to uh, um, they are doing South by Southwest because of the panel opportunity that we, we brought to them. Yes. Um, it's like right now the only one they're they're missing is Midem. You know, it's like the, it's the only one. Everything else they got it covered just a, in a year. And for I think for that type of companies because they are they still haven't closed their first seed round, but they they have you know clients and the products is there and all that. I think this is um, a huge opportunity to do that in a very short period of time. It's like, then, you know, when you've done this, then you can get back to building the product and get more, you know, um, hands-on with building your business up because now people know about you. It's like you do a a kind of a blast, right? You just, okay, now we are known. We've been, you know, been around. We know the people. And it makes it also a lot easier when you're going to, you know, do your next founding round. Um, that is a good example, I think. Uh, another company, it's not because of us, you know, like it's because they're doing a great job and there are great founders and they have a great product. But another very interesting story would be uh, Citizen Lab. So from Belgium. Oh, the Belgian one. Yeah, yeah. Well, they got featured in Forbes 30 under 30. I saw that. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> and it's like, of course, it's just because of them. Like it's not, of, it's not because of us. But when you see that a company just a year ago was starting right and now they double the number of employees and they got featured on Forbes 30 under 30 and they even need to stop going to events like it's like okay now we are now we're good you know <laughs> we've done enough of them now we need to uh you know build more uh the product and get more business uh done with uh with cities um yeah i guess it's very exciting and we you know that story already you know them because now they are kind of well known within our scene uh what the guys at mystery vibe are doing like mystery vibe we got them with us at the very beginning of Sesame uh, at Pioneers. So that was in 2016. And they met uh, one of their first angel investors over there. So again, it's not because of us, because Zoom and Steph are amazing. But they were there at the right, like at the right time, the right moment, the right introduction. Yeah, but, I'm, but I'm sure you helped in a big way. Um, sometimes it's the small things that make a lot of difference, right? And and now you know the year after when the staff was doing a keynote at uh, the next web in the main stage, you know we had goosebumps here at the office. It was like, yeah. look at that, you know, uh, awesome. from from doing you know uh, pitches in front of fifty people at some of the conferences where we brought them to doing the main stage and in front of four thousand. That was insane. Yeah. So listen, I I know we're supposed to end the session, but I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So I'm going to say one more thing about tech events in Europe specifically because you mentioned the US, right? Yeah. When I when I go to conferences in the US and I've done quite a few in the past, they almost all look and feel the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think most of the problems is because they take place in hotels or in like 
you know, specific venues that were built for this kind of conference. In Europe, you have the benefit of having a lot of history. So you can do events in you know, the Royal Palace in Vienna or, or like a, a really nice cultural uh, or the National Library uh, textual hand last year, for example. Uh, so these, that's what I really like about Europe. You can travel around and, and Europe is super fragmented, but it's also super diverse. So you can meet, see a lot of different places and different vibe, different culture, different types of people and venues and the way that they organize and the way that they communicate and meet is different. So, so that's what I really, really like about Europe. They're all, any event you go to in any place is going to be different just because the, the venue or the location is different. And I really, really enjoy that. And you learn a lot of languages. You learn, you know, I, I learned how to say uh, bunny in, in Latvian. It's Sakitis. Last week, Sakitis. Two weeks, <laughs> last week in, uh, in Techchel. So, so you pick up on languages, you pick on, up on different cultures and habits of people. And it's just so enjoyable. I love it. That's part of the reason that I do TechEU in the first place is to be able to do that. That's my closing thought. Oh, that's amazing. Is there anything else that uh, you can ask people or how they can help you with your mission with TechEU? No, just follow me on Twitter and uh, you know, say funny stuff to me. Entertain me. <laughs> Thank you, Robin, for your time today. Thank, Thank you. Sorry for being late. That's fine. Um, Thank you. It's fantastic. We've done it and we had a lot of people watching it uh, live. Awesome. So um, this episode will be available on Facebook and we will also uh, publish very soon the podcast of your interview. See you in Barcelona next week. Fantastic. See you soon. Bye, Ben. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.